Uh, when I speak robot, I sound like R2-D2. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. You're fantastic at coding, but do you have an action plan to take it to the next level? The upcoming book, Next Level Freelance, will help you optimize your freelance business for happiness. The book is packed with actionable steps to make more money, case studies, tips to find more clients, and exercises for you to establish your desired lifestyle. Extras include nine interviews with freelancers who make great money while enjoying great work-life balance, videos on strategies to find quality subcontractors, and videos on making more free time by outsourcing your daily tasks. Check it out today, nextlevelfreelance.com. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 74 of the Freelancer Show. This week on our panel we have Curtis McHale. G'day. Eric Davis. Hello. Ruben Lerner. Hi everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and uh, this week we're going to be talking about email lists. Uh, One thing I want to say before we get started, one of the reasons I do this show is uh, to help me kind of get business and it looks like I'm going to have a slight lull. So if you need help with your Ruby programming, let me know. All right. Um, hey, wait, Chuck. I need help with my Ruby programming. Can I let you know? Do you have money? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is not a typical interaction, I hope. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, um, so let's talk about email lists. I'm sure you guys, or at least some of you guys, have email lists that you manage. Or email lists that you don't manage? Uh, yes, to both. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yes, much more my case. Yeah, um, I'm I'm a little bit curious. Um, do any of you have uh, more than a few hundred subscribers to any of your lists? Uh, yeah, I have a little less than 700 on my main list right now. I have a dashboard in front of me. Awesome. I, I don't I don't run a list for my work, but I run a community list that has about 2,700 people on it. Yeah, well, if you're talking about something like Ruby Rogues Parlay, then. I have one, but <laughs> I, I don't really think of it that way. I, I don't go and, and uh, you know, I, I participate in it as opposed to, uh, you know, send out updates or however you want to talk You're about. you the more exclusive th- person on it. Yeah. Right. And maybe we can talk about those lists too, but I was thinking more along the lines of like the newsletter lists or the marketing lists or whatever you want to call them. My main one up until real recently was from my first book that I wrote uh, w, um, about becoming a WordPress development professional. And I've sent out a few emails on that. And it's turned in really good, but that's customers who have opted in at checkout, right? So they've purchased the product and say, I want this. And it's a fairly small list, like it's under 100. But like I'm getting 20, 25 or 30% click-throughs and like 70% opens, which is really high. According to the MailChimp stats, they're saying like 1% is really good for click-throughs and like opens at like 10 is really good too. So, Yeah, but you've, you've got people on that list that have bought stuff from you that are already engaged in what you're giving them as opposed Absolutely. to the, the more general lists where it's like, hi, you came to my site. You want to know what's going on? Yeah, and I had that up, and I encouraged some signups through that for for a while. But you know, I'd probably say ninety, eighty percent of the list was people that actually purchased. Yeah, makes sense um, for my product. Yeah, and so Eric's saying in the chat, they're not prospect lists; they are customer lists. So 
people that are interested in the products that are coming out or other things that are coming up with it. So although I haven't really milked that list a lot, milked, haven't used that list a lot, um, really. I just started mm. kind of gearing up on it regularly. <laughs> Air milk. Yes, I, that's the bad word. That's not the, not the goal with it at Get all. Get the bucket. <laughs> so, so Curtis, I'm, I'm sort of curious, even though I, I think I know the answer to this question. Like, you're a WordPress guy. Obviously, setting up a blog is not hard for you. You have a blog. You write on it regularly. Why do you then have an email list in addition to the blog? And do you post the same things on both of them? Um, not really. So uh, I was used the WordPress list recently to kind of say, hey, I've got a new product coming out uh, about running a freelance business. If you're interested, here you go. This is what it is. If not, then you're not going to hear about it again, right? Because that's not what you signed up for. I'm also using it because I'm going to probably add some WordPress courses um, specifically around things. Uh, I guess more, I guess more developer topics. So I'm going to use that. Let them get or put a survey out for them so they can help me decide which courses they want first. Whether it's uh, I don't know transients, which is like a caching layer, or users, or whatever. So that's how I'm going to use it. And then uh, the email list for the new product coming up also uh, is kind of getting updates as we go. So I'll write an update today about who we're interviewing, where we are, and uh, when it's coming out. Yeah, it makes and sense. And what, um, what sort of responses do you get? Like every time you send out a, a note that people actually respond, or you just sort of assume, well, they want to keep updated, and so it's just good that they're reading it or receiving it? Uh, most of them not asking for a response specifically. So I judge response based on the click-throughs that MailChimp gives me, right? If there's, you know, way, way higher response. So what I say was like 20, 25% is my click-through on the latest email, and that's way higher than industry average is like 1%. So that's the best response I can get. Um, moving forward, I'll ask, you know, ask more about surveys and about courses. And that's kind of, I guess that's kind of more where I'm going than how I've used it in the past. So, so when you're saying you're talking about uh, surveys and and things like that, are you going to email them and say, hi, this is Curtis, I'm working on this, and I'd like to know something, and so go click the survey? Or Yeah, that's the plan. I'll say, hey, you know, here's the three courses, here's a basic outline of them. If you want to say in which one, then, you know, you can grab the survey here, or, you know, you can just shoot me an email, too, if you want. Here's my email. So that's that's how I'm planning on doing it, making it as easy for them. So you don't just have to do the survey, and I'll, you know, I'll take the emails I get back into account as well. Um, but I'll already say I have three or four courses. Here's the basic outlines of them. I'm planning to do them all. Which ones do you want first? And this is to your customer list? Yeah, that's to the customer list, people who are already have purchased and want to. And I'll say, you know, even you know, forward it along to friends that you think will be interested in it. Interested in it. I'll probably do some you know, group discounts on things um, for the email list because they are existing customers. Yeah, that makes sense. What about the generalists? What kind of things do you do for them? I don't really have a good generalist. I know people talk about you should have one for your business, and I just never have. I do, uh, who did we talk to a few weeks ago? Like, so I email links specific to clients, right? Hey, this will be a good link for you, as opposed to blanketing a whole email list with it. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have like a one one for my business that's specifically for my clients or for just possible prospects that come through. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I had a list for my clients years and years ago, and uh, you know, I sent out a few messages, but they didn't seem so excited. And it was just to my clients, and it was what at that point maybe about a dozen people at most. And decided, okay, I'm not going to continue with it. Probably if I were going to do something like that nowadays, I would do a blog, even though I know that email is a little more in your face and going to lead people to do more as a result. Yes, but um, 
the the blog is more uh, generally accessible, and then you can have people self-select from there. I mean, you have to have something that people are going to go to in order to sign up for the list, and that's kind of where the blog comes in. Um, my understanding. It can. Yeah, I mean, you you don't have to. You can do. I think I think a lot of Peter Cooper's stuff is like one page. You know, sign up for Ruby Weekly, JavaScript Weekly, whatever. But the blog is going to get you, you know, the SEO. It's going to let you build a bit more trust because um, someone opting in, like, and giving you an email address does require them to trust you a little bit. And so, a blog or even just a nice-looking, functional website um, can kind of build that trust up enough to get them to opt in, and then, you know, they're your email list at that point. But a blog, I wouldn't say a blog's a requirement for an email list. You know, Jeff, Jeff, who's not with us today, has a couple email lists as well, right? He has the freelance funnel which is like job leads and he's got the other one that's like freelance business weekly that's not the right name but he's got that as well and i don't think he has a blog for that really um i just get the email but yeah but in that case uh people are signing up because um they're hearing hey you're going to get this content on it whereas uh it seems like the other newsletters it's more about hey you want to keep up on what's going on with whatever yeah, my long-term plan for the newest freelance business one is I'm going to go, I'm going to put out like one link a week. This is kind of the most important business or thing that you can read that I think you should read this week and here's why. So it'll be a link and like a you know a fairly short paragraph on why I think it's very important for you to read to keep your business kind of moving forward. Yeah, I did that with a couple of my lists where it's, um, I'd either link to my own writing or someone else's writing. And in the email, I would kind of give an extra paragraph or two paragraphs, you know, either background or, you know, go read this other person's post, come back here, and then here's my opinion or here's my thoughts on it. And that worked pretty well. Um, it wasn't the greatest because I wasn't really making a lot, like creating a lot of value for the reader, but, you know, it worked. Yeah, but I mean, the reason I keep Jeff's email around about freelance business because he gets articles that I don't, right? That I just haven't seen that are good. Um, I don't look at all the articles he links to, but there's one or two that are that are good in there that I read pretty much every week. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is um, with the approach that Eric's taking, I mean, you're providing value and you are kind of keeping that presence of mind because hopefully you're sending those out pretty regularly. I've also seen lists where it's, Hi, I had this experience and I went and did this thing with my family and, and this is how it might apply to you and, and stuff like that as opposed to I would, you know, I use this library or this technical resource and, uh, you know, here, here are a few paragraphs about it. And I think both are valuable. It just depends on what, what you want to communicate through your list. Right. And that's, that's the thing. Like we've already kind of dug into like, you know, how we're using our list, but you have to think about what the point is. I know. Some of, some of my lists, the point is I got a prospect on there. I want to build trust with them and have them buy a product that I'm selling. Um, some of the other lists, it's just like my main list is almost kind of an RSS feed for my blog. It's as I write new stuff, I send it out to the list. And so it's not as much of a, like a huge business focus. I'll, I'll do business stuff on there, but it's a lot more just kind of letting people stay in the loop and build up trust. And then what I'll do is I'll say, hey, I'm you know working on a new book. I'm, I created another list so I don't send you everyone a bunch of emails and I'll get people from my main list onto the second list. But you, like I said, you got to figure out kind of what your goal with the list is, why it's there. Because in the beginning, like I actually made my list because I just thought you know every business is supposed to have a monthly newsletter and I didn't know what I was doing and I wasted a lot of time and didn't really do a bunch of right things. And it's just because I didn't have an actual clear idea in my head of what I was doing with my list. Mm-hmm. So I guess this uh, narrows things down a little bit, 
and and I'm probably going to ask about a couple of different scenarios here, but what kinds of things do you want to be doing on the list that you have that basically contains prospects uh, so that you don't lose them, you can keep them interested, that kind of thing? What, I mean, what what do you send them and how do you format your emails to them? I, I'm in two minds here. Do you want me to talk about prospects for like a product, like an ebook, or prospects for like a service, like consulting or custom development? I was talking they're... about consulting, but I was going to ask the other next. So okay, so for consulting, what I do, um, if you actually go to my main site right now, you can see I talk about what I do. But at the bottom, I say I'm not accepting clients. If you want to work with me in the future, sign up for my my list, and I'll let you know when I have availability. And so then on the list, I can kind of do um, like trust building, like, you know, write about software development, write about um, software companies, you know, that sort of idea. And then when I have availability in my consulting calendar, um, I'll email the list and say, hey, I have two or three spots open. If you'd like to hire me, go to this page to get the details and then contact me through that page. And so basically, I, in that case, I'm using the list as like this big pool of potential clients. And hopefully by the time I email them, they would have seen you know, a dozen, half a dozen different emails from me talking about various things. And hopefully one or two of those really built trust or helped them out or did something so that they can say, oh, yeah, this Eric guy, he knows what he's talking about. I'm going to hire him. And so it's kind of like a, a passive waiting list in a way, but I'm not just like, oh, yeah, I'll put you on my list. And then when I'm hire- when I'm able for hire, you can hire me. It's more of put you on the list and I'll build up the relationship. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Anything anyone else wants to add before I ask the next question that I've already foreshadowed that I'm going to ask? <laughs> no. All right. So um, the next you, the next one is the product. And, and to frame it a little bit, we are working on this Ruby best practice patterns for Ruby Rogues. And I talked to the publisher and I was like, can I put up a website and get emails and all this stuff so that I can keep people informed about what's going on with the book and you know keep them warm until we get it published? And they said, yes. So what do I do? Put up a website and an email list. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> and uh, then what, Chuck? And then what? Well, like I'd say you want to update them as you're going, right? Hey, we've gone through this chapters. We were t- looking at this or we had discussions about these different patterns to get people invested, right? So that they are you know, even emailing you and say, oh, did you think about this pattern or did you think about this? Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And that let, lets them be invested in the product as well because they had a say and they communicated with you about it. So, Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm thinking about doing that and kind of giving them the insider scoop on what's going on. Hey, we decided on using these tools. We decided on um, using this process and, you know, here's what we've got done and here's a sneak peek into something that we're going to put into the book and, and that kind of stuff. Right. It, it, it's, it seems to me, Chuck, that in the sort of book that you're talking about, it, it gives you a real chance to open it up to the community a bit more and get them excited and, and feel like they're a part of it. And so there, having the website is nice, but having the email updates, even if it's you know once every week or two, hey, we've now finished three chapters about, and if you have anything to say on that topic, we'd love to hear it also. And that sort of engagement excitement, I think, is you know, it's a little different from a typical freelancing business, but I think it's going to be something that will make people more likely even to buy the book. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things with it. Like the big thing for any kind of marketing is you're building trust. So, you know, by having a list and being able to talk with them either about the book's progress or about what you're writing about, or, you know, maybe you were investigating four patterns and found that three of them aren't a pattern at all or, you know, details, stuff like that. 
based on your audience, that's probably going to build trust with them and be like, oh, yeah, this, this is going to be a great book. Another thing is also it's going to obviously help with sales because once the book launches or if it's available for pre-orders, you know, you have this list of X people that you can say it's available for pre-orders, go pre-order it now. And, you know, it would actually boost us on the Amazon rankings or whatever. And that could actually make the book a lot more successful and let more people read it and let more people learn from it. You know, and the other thing, uh, like everyone was talking about is if you are able to kind of get feedback from the list, you can actually kind of edit the book on the fly. Um, I did that with Redmine Tips and basically a month or so I was, I was basically sending out chapters to them and was getting edits or like, oh, this wasn't quite clear. And it actually made the book a lot better because it was a lot more kind of peer review than me just, you know, sending it off to one editor and getting it back. Yep. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I'm also curious, do you guys use some sort of professional layout for your HTML5 or your HTML5, your HTML emails? Not anymore. I used to have one. I just go with MailChimp, the stock template. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I used to have one that matched my branding, like the colors and a logo and all that. And then um, I picked this up, I think, from Nathan Barry and Brennan Dunn. Um, they went with a very clean, almost looks like plain text, but it's actually not. You know, you can see bolds and underline and all that. Um, and I switched my template to that. And since I switched over to that, I've been getting a lot better results. And it's, you know, there's HTML version and plain text version. The HTML version, it's basically like an HTML 5-ish container with some inline CSS to kind of make stuff look a bit nice, like pick some better fonts, bump the font size up, that sort of thing. Um, and it works great because then, you know, people can actually read it. It looks like an email from a person, not like a marketing type email. There's no images that have to load or any of that stuff. And you can also still get like links and all that. So if you need to put a link in or yeah, I think you could even do like video in it. Like, I don't know if that would work on all browsers, but you know, it's, it's nice and it's a very, it's very simple and easy. You don't have to worry about, oh, I have this side column. I have to fill up another post or something. Yeah, just uh, I, I've never used uh, any of these services, um, and I used to really poo-poo them. I was like, "Oh, come on, who needs Mailchimp? I can just set up Mailman on my server." But I see, uh, just from sort of poking through the site and and experiencing as a user, it does make a big difference because you no longer have to deal with the unsubscription and people not knowing what to do. And if it gives you these templates, that's a huge, huge win. Well, yeah. The other thing you got to remember is that these email providers already set up to not get caught as spam by like main servers, right? If your oh, random right. servers suddenly start sending thousands of emails, then that doesn't look nice. No, no, that, that's that's true. Uh, I actually have to deal with that every so often. Uh, I mean, I run this community email list and so, I don't know, once every year or two, everyone who's subscribed to my list who's on Yahoo or some other service stops getting email. Why? Because it's tagged as spam or someone at Yahoo tagged it as spam. We have to go in and beg Yahoo to reallow it. And so that would be just fatal if you were trying to do something business-wise. So, I mean, if and when I set up uh, an email list for something work-related, much as I have pride in running my own server, it seems pretty clear to me that for a variety of reasons, using one of these services is indeed the way to go. I mean, I'll be honest, unless you're a system administrator with hundreds of servers and you know about everything there is to know about DNS, servers, uh, post-fix, all that stuff, you should not send email through your own server, like flat out, like it's, you're going to probably lose half your mail. And if you're, if your business is relying on this, don't do it. Like it's, it's just a bad idea for you. Would, MailChimp is free for, I think like under a thousand subscribers or something. There's no reason not to use MailChimp or I pay 29 bucks to Aweber a month. And that's probably, probably some of the best money I spend every month. Yeah. I'm, I'm on Aweber as well. And it's, it's really, 
really a nice service. I really like and this it. and uh, to put that in context, I was a system minister. I guess I still am for a couple of years, and I ran the mail servers for a small, mid-sized software company. And I mean, you, I, we were we were losing like ten hours a week easily for that, and it was just a, you know, two or three mail servers, and it's just such a pain. If you're going to send email newsletters, like. I can give you a list to a whole bunch of the different services you can use. It's just so much. It's so easy just to pay someone to deal with that problem and to do it. Right. It's, it's, it seems right. like it would more than pay for itself in the time that you would spend configuring servers to, to avoid things. I mean, someone just recently asked me if I know how to set up, I forget what's even called anymore, the DNS stuff to avoid getting caught by spam. Was it SPF, I think? And yes. my, only experience yeah. with, my only experience with that has been horrific. And right. These very services have full-time people who are specialists in that. Well, and there's also a lot of agreements behind the scenes because you know I'll use Mailchimp because they're more more well known. But you know they they know people on Gmail's team and Yahoo's team, and they can say, "Hey, we're starting to see a lot of you know bounce backs coming from you guys. What's going on?" And they will they can actually get some priority access for stuff like you know, oh, this is Mailchimp server talking to us, so we're not going to flag it as spam. I mean, it's that stuff you can't do unless you're at a large scale. Yeah, right. Very true. Going back to the the layouts a little bit, several of the um, online marketers that I've talked to or have emailed me or that I follow, you know, they don't even go as far as using CSS to kind of nicely lay out the just text email that they're sending out. A lot of times it's just a scrappy little straight text email that I get in my inbox and uh, that's it. And I know they're kind of trying to go for the, you know, the email kind of like the one you get from your buddy. Who sends it off from his email? A program. personal email. Yeah, and uh, you know it, it kind of works, but you know when you get the it, when you get the marketing emails or even the newsletters like uh, you know we talked about Peter Cooper's uh, Ruby Weekly or JavaScript Weekly, they do still feel a little bit they're almost too polished, and so they they feel markety. They're not personal. And yeah, it, it really does kind of have that effect on me where I look at it and go, oh, okay, this is just an email from this guy. And he just happens to be a guy that I, you know, I, I follow as far as his business and things. So, Well, it depends on how you do it, too. I mean, if Peter Cooper makes no kind of illusion that his emails are personal to you, whereas yeah. I, I've seen some of these, um, they look personalized from some of the higher end marketers. And they are made to look personal, but they're not. And so... It's basically, it's a kind of a bit of dishonesty. I mean, you can get some good results from it for a short amount of time, but you end up eroding the trust of your subscribers. Um, versus like, um, like what I do, what Brendan Dunn does, uh, and Patrick McKenzie, we might have a little bit of a template and it might make it look a bit nicer, but people know that this is kind of a, a bulk email. It's not an email that, you know, we sat down and wrote individually one by one. And it looks nicer, I think, in my case, especially just because I want to show a little bit more of the professionalism. I mean, I work on the web stuff. HTML email is HTML. So I want to look a, a bit nicer than just, you know, straight plain text. But I don't need it to go as far into like the design realm as some of like the templates like built into MailChimp are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And most of the ones that I'm getting from these marketers, it's, it's not a hi insert name. It's, it's, you know, it's, hey guys. Just so you know, this is what's going on, but I still feel like part of the group is kind of, I guess, I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, it's with anything, there's a scale of people that are, you know, completely righteous, great, everything. And then on the other side, it's like a swampland. I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I've heard in the swampland area that people actually suggest having typos 
in your subject line intentionally to make people think that you typed it out and made a mistake. And they sent that out to thousands of people. So, you know, you just got to You got to be kind of away from that swampland area and just do things that you think is right. That's going to build trust into your audience. And, you know, just that's all you got to really do. Yeah, I think it is a little bit disingenuous to go ahead and, you know, deliberately enter mistypes in there. Yeah, I mean, my fingers do it for me automatically. So it's like I don't I don't need to do it on purpose. <laughs> Eric, I will say, like, as uh, someone who's received your email newsletter and some of the others that you mentioned, that it does hit the sweet spot between feeling like a, uh, I mean, yes, I know it's not a personal message, but I think the important thing is not how many people it's going to, but how it's sort of phrased and how it looks coming out. And so it doesn't feel like a mass marketing message. It feels like, hey, I have some knowledge, I have some expertise, I know that you're interested in the sort of expertise that I provide, so I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to give it to you in a, a, a nice package, uh, but not a, a sort of a, an over-the-top marketing package. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of it also depends on your content, too. I mean, if you've got good content, like, you know, you're writing about stuff, or even like what Curtis was talking about, where he's might write a paragraph and then send a link off to someone else. Like, if that's valuable to the reader, then that that's good. Um, if it's like, hey, just come buy my stuff, which is actually what I did when I first got started years ago, because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, that's crappy. No one's going to buy it, or no one's even going to open it, and they're going to unsubscribe. Well... So I have a friend that uh, has done exactly that, you know, hey, come buy my stuff. But when you sign up for his newsletter, the first thing you get is a is a notice that says, hey, look, I don't post to this regularly. I only post to it when I have something to sell. If you are interested in buying stuff from me, then stay subscribed. Otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if this isn't what you want, but it's not what you want. And yeah. And then, yeah, I get emails from him periodically. Hey, I have another class going. Hey, I just released a video. But you kind of know what you're getting when you get into it. And it works for him. But that's the thing. And and I think that's a, a good suggestion for anybody is put something in when people subscribe that lets them know what to expect. And then you, and then you can kind of go ahead and do what you need to do as long as you're kind of following those guidelines. And if you change it, then you change that initial email. And you also... uh you know, email your list and let them know, hey, I'm kind of changing the way that this works. And then they can decide if they want to stay subscribed or not. Yeah, exactly. That's that's actually a better way of saying it. I mean, if if your list, like most of my lists are, I'm going to give you free information. There's going to be occasional messages about my products or services. But if you say, you're signing up for this list just to hear when I have stuff on the market, like every message can be a sales message. That's what people are signing up for. That's what their expectation is. On the other hand, if you're saying like, you know, sign up for my list, I'm just going to send you, you know, 30 emails about subject X and there's not going to be any sales messages in it. And you put a sales message in it, that's uh, abuse of the trust. And so I think if uh, it kind of goes back to the goals, like what are your goals with the list? If it's to just announce you have something for sale, then it's probably fine. You're not going to have as many subscribers, obviously, and you're not going to build up as much trust because you're not being able to do the kind of, you know, the trust building type stuff. But if it's just a sales list, that's probably completely fine. The other thing to think is you can change the purpose of your list. You just need to let your users know, right? Yeah, it's hard, though. I've tried to do that a couple times. Um, I've actually found it's better just to make a second list and say, hey, I have this new list. It's going to be on this other topic or this other purpose. Um, this list that you're on now is going to be discontinued. Yep. They just archive all their email. And to come back and be su- su- surprised they're getting sales messages all the time. So uh, I- I'm a little curious. Then we, we kind of talked about books and things like that. Are-, are there are there different things that you do for 
other products, you know, videos or what have you, or do you kind of uh, approach those the same way? I think you'd approach it the same way, really, right? A product is a product regardless of the medium in many cases. So, like, even with the yeah. courses I'm coming up with, like, I'll demo the courses and I'll say, hey, uh, I'm going to use a, a plugin that does, like, quizzes and surveys and stuff throughout your course. So, I'll show that off and as I build the first few. Um but yeah, it's just, again, showing people what it is, what they'll get, and then uh, kind of why it's cool and letting them have some input. So. I mean, there might be some technical differences. Like if you're selling a video product, you wouldn't be able to give them a sample in the email. You might have to have them click through. But uh, I, I think that you know, selling a product slash service in email is pretty much the same, I think, across the board. Yep. All right. Yeah, actually, with the video interviews I'm doing for the book, I'm gonna like I'll put it up on YouTube and and give the email list kind of advance notice to see it, so that they'll get the first public links of it. Have you guys found that you can embed videos in line, or is it usually better just to say go here and watch it? Just go here and watch it. Yeah, you can go get here. It. As Eric's saying in the chat, you can kind of get it to work, but I have I still build the occasional HTML email and. Even just getting an email to look right is nothing short of a pain in the butt. So I doing mean, like, anything like embedding video is even a huge, even bigger pain in the butt. Yeah, like, I, I, I heard I, Gmail did some stuff. Like I think if you would send a YouTube like link, it might embed it um, because you know same property. But it's yeah. some, I've heard some stuff it would only work if that sender was in your address book or there's it. It was very fragile, and you got to also think some people use like Outlook, which is actually using Word's HTML browser, which we can probably guess how great that support is for video. <laughs> yeah, the, the other thing that I've seen is that, uh, like I bought a responsive template that I'm going to ditch. I bought it off of uh, themeforest.net. And um, anyway, it, it's supposed to look great in like all of these different uh, email programs. The modern but, ones. Yeah, but the problem is, is that there are so many out there and I've looked at it in a few, like on my phone and things, where it's supposed to look good and it still doesn't always look quite right. So I think what it really boils down to is if you can do what Eric suggested earlier and just go with some CSS that makes it look good um, and just do some minor formatting, here's a paragraph, you know, here's a header, and keep it to that, then I think you're pretty safe. It'll look nice no matter where you're at. Yeah, there's, I'll put a link in the show notes, but Campaign Monitor is another one of those, um, like mail service server providers. Um, they've done a lot of research on what CSS, what HTML works and which mail client slash browsers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can actually stick with, you can use CSS and you can kind of keep it simple and it works. Um, otherwise you have to actually fall back to tables and stuff like that. I mean, that's how poor a lot of email clients are. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can, again, like, uh, not from a business list, but just from the community list that I run, the number of email programs that people use, yes, many, many, many of them are going to use Gmail or Yahoo, but you're going to have all sorts of people using all sorts of crazy programs that are either not up to uh, the latest version or not up to spec or don't do Internet standards the right way. And so if you're not really careful about how you format your email, it's going to come out horrible. And, of course, you know, it'll end up horrible for the one person who's likely to be your client. Yeah, and that's why I like I like going to the simple template. Like my original one used to be kind of uh, like a div type thing for the header, a div for the body and or the content, whatever, and then a div for the footer part. And my new one, it's literally like I don't even think there's a div. I think it's just you know heading one, heading two, content, and then like bold italics, all that. It's there's if the mail client screws it up, like it's just text. And there's always the the actual plain text fallback option, which is. Since I write a markdown, it's basically the exact same thing. 
yeah, just easy to read or easier to read if the formatting works right. Yeah, like it links you don't have to copy and paste, you can just click. So one other thing that I'm wondering about, when you write it out, Eric, do you typically go, hey guys, Eric here, here's what's going on, here's the body of my email, thanks Eric? Or do you, you know, more of a an email letter sort of format, or do you just jump right in and this week we're talking about this? Uh, it depends, really. Um, most of the time I get right into it. Like I, I treat my email a lot like my blog, so a lot of posts just, you know, heading slash or what title slash subject line is, you know, what it's going to be about. I get into it, talk about it, close it out, sign it with my name. Um, sometimes if it's like I'm talking about someone else's post, I might intro it by saying, you know, hey, it's Eric again. Found this cool post on pricing. Uh, click through to read it first, then we get back and talk about my thoughts and why I think this person's wrong or something. And link and then a paragraph of my stuff. It really depends. I mean, it's it's pretty free form, and I mean, I don't know. I just you got to think about what you want to communicate, what you want to get across, and just write for that. Um, I don't. The one thing I do not like is the you know January newsletter. You know, hey, here's three topics, and you know, getting into it and the, the kind of the very corporate feel. Um, and I think that's just, I don't, that's not my business. That's not my culture. And I don't like it when other freelancers my size do that. It just doesn't feel quite right. It's the, you know, that's that old kind of argument of if you're a one person shop, can you talk about we on your webpage? <laughs> the Royal we or the Nintendo we, um, Curtis, how about you? Um, do you, do you typically do the, Hey reader, this is Curtis. Here's the stuff. Thanks Curtis. Or do you? Do you not go with the letter quality type of email? I was just reading through my last one to see. Sorry, just thinking, reading through my last one. And it had been a while, so I started off saying, hey, it's been a while. And uh, introduced the new product. And then said, here's the future, kind of what we're going to do with this email newsletter. So it was fairly conversational, and I made spelling mistakes. There's a quote from Michael Port on his uh, email newsletters, like on a signature line, the sign off. He's like, I don't charge extra for typos. <laughs> <laughs> so one more question for you guys. Do you put like, by the way, you have two weeks left to buy my product at the end of your emails? Or do you mention it somehow? I, I will. I was uh, on Smashing Magazine. There's a post uh, called How to Launch Anything. I'm forgetting the name uh, of the author, but he when his email launch sequence, he'd let all his email subscribers know that the product was coming up and then he'd let them know like, Hey, the coupon I gave you expires today. So at the end of the day, and he said he saw like a $4,000 increase in his sales. Like here's a spike from the first email and here's a spike that's half as high again from the second email later in the day. Cause people are like, I'll leave it to later. I'll leave it to later. And then like, I have to use my coupon right at the end. I guess that's more of a, I guess a launch sequence. Exactly. So I won't do that for ever but i will do that like when i'm launching a product or when your coupon's going to expire or something hey this it expires in the next couple hours so if you wanted to use it you need to use it yeah and i've done the same it, there's there's two kind of terms that people use um there's kind of the soft sell and the hard sell the soft sell is like maybe you have some content like um recently i wrote i'm i'm writing a book on freelancing stuff so i'm writing a lot about freelancing to my list but i was writing about i don't remember what it was um some stuff about freelancing and then at the end i you know I was like, you know, and this is kind of part of the the book I'm writing. If you'd like to be interested, click this link and sign up for the the newsletter and I'll let you know when it comes out. The hard sell on the other line is basically the entire point of the email is to sell. And so you don't have this kind of like, hey, by the way, at the end, you have this 
my book's available. It's this price. You know, here's a coupon code. It's only available for the next 24 hours. And then there might be another hard sell of like, your coupon code's going to expire in two hours. And then, you know, maybe a third email. The coupon code is expiring in five minutes. Um, those kind of are what they're called, what's, what's called hard sell, where it's like the whole point is to sell the product or service you, you're talking about there. And most of the advice is you kind of have to mix the two. Like if, if you're launching a product, you can do a lot more hard sell, but you don't want to do hard sells that often. Um, you can do hard sells on products that have been out for years too. Interesting. Well, just in general, like from a marketing perspective, saying to people, you have a limited time to act on something. I mean, I would, uh, I, I hate to admit it, but I'm also a sucker for that sort of thing. Uh, because I will procrastinate everything until the last moment. So if I'm told, oh, I only have till today, I'll, I'll actually act on it. Well, especially if you really want yeah. it, right? Or, or even I really want it, or if I'm sort of on the edge. I'm like, well, you know, it's only a $10 ebook, and I was thinking of using it, so I probably will get it. Well, like, it, it, kind of the point is, you know, someone might have read your email and decided that they're going to buy this ebook, but, oh, I'm at work, and I don't have my credit card with me, or oh, I got to go to a meeting in two minutes. And they, they leave it, and by the time they get back, they forgot that they were, they actually made a decision to buy it. And so the whole point of that stuff, you know, basically the launch sequence is to remind them, hey, this is going off the market or whatever. And those people that are like, oh, I made the decision, but I actually didn't buy it. Um, I know in the past I've actually made a decision to buy something, thought I bought it, and then waited to the very last minute and realized like, oh, I didn't actually buy that thing and had the rush to get it. And it was like you know, five minutes left type thing. And so, you know, that happens all the time. I mean, everyone's distracted by stuff. So you have to kind of do that if you're going to actually launch a product. Yeah, I need to send one of those out today for my Rails ramp-up class because it starts tomorrow. And I know yeah. that there were some people that are on the list that wanted to sign up, and I, I don't think they realized that time's kind of snuck up on them. One thing I got uh, from Amy Hoy, and I don't, I, I'm pretty sure she got from someone else, but it's a rule of thumb, is if you're launching something, you that day you need to send three emails. You need to send one kind of in the morning, uh, one halfway through the day or whatever, and then one like an hour or two before it closes because people aren't going to forget it. People like my wife doesn't check her email except for like maybe every other day. And if then it's like at nighttime. And so she might have missed an email or, you know, it might have been buried. And so basically Amy's advice was to send three emails on your launch day. And that can pretty much capture most people that had the intention of buying, but they actually forgot or got distracted. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, like... It might sound like a lot, but realistically, like if someone signed up to hear about your book launch, like they're going to want to know when it launches. Like mm-hmm. that's, and most people are really good about filtering email. Like if, if you made a decision not to buy, it's, you know, one button just to archive that message that you don't want to read. And so I, I wouldn't worry about that. I think I've had like two complaints in what seven years time, um, that I send too much email. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, is, you're always going to have people that feel like you don't send often enough and you're always going to have people that feel like you send too much. So, yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, maybe we should do a daily podcast now or, you know, maybe we should go to once a year. I mean, it's, you can't keep everyone happy. <laughs> yep. No, but that does raise the question aside from product launches. So product launches, I mean, it, it sounds good to send that something out just before the deadline and maybe even three times on the day, but it's just sort of general updates from your company is once a week, a reasonable amount of time. Um, I used to say once a week was best, but honestly, it's, I, I don't have the same stance as blogging. Send as frequently as you are able to do it, as comfortable as you are. Um, for me, it's about once a week, maybe every other week. Uh, if you 
get, you know, writer's block and can only do it once a month, do it once a month. I mean, it's the consistency and keeping it going is more important than, uh, you know, sticking to one schedule. Yeah. So pick a schedule and stick to it rather than trying to cram it all in and then lapsing for two months. Yeah. Like I used to run a list where it was every week I would send out um, like a tip about something and I dreaded it because I, I think I sent it on Wednesday. So I had to have it done and finalized and loaded up by Tuesday and I dreaded it. It was too much and I overcommitted on that and I ended up stopping it and completely killing that list because it wasn't something I was interested in. But if I set it up where, you know, I'd send it every other week or at that time I was super busy. So if I said every month, it would probably still be active. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, let's, let's change tactics a little bit. Eric, you mentioned in the chat, uh, email courses and, uh, I've, I've heard a little bit about these. I think there was one about like rail security that was put out by the folks that do code climate. Yeah. With their cool little spotlight. That was, that was a great opt-in page. I, I haven't actually seen it, but I'm, I'm curious as to how effective something like that would be. I mean, it seems like you'd be able to establish yourself as an authority and hopefully have them, you know, continue to buy products. Was this something that they charged for? No. So let me, I'll give a bit of background because this is, I'm not going to say it's advanced, but it's, um, it's a bit higher than, you know, sending out weekly newsletter. Um, most people in this in a newsletter, it's kind of a broadcast where you click send and it goes out to everyone. So, you know, if, if all you guys are on my list, you know, Curtis and Chuck, you're both going to see the same message from me when I hit send. Um, another side is what's called autoresponders, which aren't, shouldn't be confused with vacation responders in email, but they're a whole separate beast. They're, they're, it's, as a programmer, it's very easy to understand. It's, you know, if this, uh, subscriber signs up and they've signed up six days ago, send them this email. If they signed up eight days ago, send them this other email. So it's basically what you do is you're building a sequence of, emails that go out and it goes out based on when a subscriber signs up, not actually the day. So like it's I railsecurity.com is code climates one. I put a link in the show notes. But basically when you sign up, you're gonna get I don't know how many they're sending, but maybe we'll say eight or nine different emails. And everyone's gonna get the first one. Everyone's gonna get the second one. And you're gonna get it in order. But if I signed up today and Curtis signs up a week from now, I'm gonna get a different email tomorrow than Curtis's because it goes off the sequence of signups. And so that's basically kind of what, um, what autoresponders are and kind of what email mini courses are about. Now on the content side, what this lets you do is you can actually think through what you're writing about and have your subscribers go through the exact same training progression. So, you know, if you're talking about security, maybe first thing is you talk about, you know, secure your passwords. And then after that, like, okay, secure access to your servers. And then, you know, now that you've done those big things, you're going to work on cross-site scripting or something. Um, and, you know, you walk them through step by step. The, uh, the other thing, if you did like a broadcast, someone might come in at the very end of that and they might get an advanced security topic and they don't know the beginning stuff. And so they're like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. So the, the thing is you get a lot of control over kind of what people see, how they see it and all that. And it's also nice because it's one of the few marketing tactics you can actually create, set it up and walk away from it. It still works. Let me see. One of my books, I did this. Uh, trying to load the page real quick. I created one two years ago, maybe-ish, um, about refactoring Rails controllers. And still to this day, um, actually today, someone signed up for it. I have almost 200 people subscribed to it. And it's a eight or nine email course that talks about refactoring Rails controllers. And, and you know, I think at the end of each one and at the very end, it talks about the book I have on it. But 
it's something I set up once, uh, made sure it was you know good content and tested all the the sequence for it, and it still works and it still brings in sales. And I actually found that it actually gets me more sales than sending someone just to my product page without actually knowing who I am, just because of the trust buildup. So that's yeah. kind of the the introduction to email courses. I think for freelancers because they're very hands off. It's like you know this is like a silver bullet to really help you out. Yeah. Well, that's what I would like to do with my, say, my freelance business list, even. Like, people who join it later are still going to get all the old content, and every so often I'll remind you of the book or something, right? Yeah, I actually have a mailing list sign up on freelancershow.com, and uh, it says that you can get the seven seven secrets to successful freelancing, I think is what it says. And so you... That's it, super. It does actually send out emails, like you said, every week you know, after you sign up and, uh, I want to make it a little bit more involved so that as you're getting those, you're also getting, you know, the periodic updates, you know, Hey, I read this, whatever, whatever, you know, or we talked to David Allen on the show and here's what I'm doing with what we, what he said or whatever. But I, I haven't, I haven't been able to make that as much of a priority, but you still get those emails. You still, you know, get the benefit of being on the list. Yeah. And like I said, like the one I've made on the Rails controllers, it was, I actually did it as a test. I was like, I don't know how this works. And this is before it was very popular, like, um, heavy marketing people did. And that's where I borrowed the idea from. But in the tech area, it wasn't very popular. And I did it as actually a full AB test on my side. And I just turned it off last night. It was running for years and it proved without a doubt that it was a better sales process than, you know, any other marketing thing I've ever done. So it works. Um, it's hard to get right, but it's one of those things that you can get something rough out there and tweak it as you go. I mean, if you find that people are not opening like the fifth email of the sequence, you can go and rewrite that email and every, everyone from then on will get the new rewritten email. And you could even do A-B tests on that to see if it's actually better. Yeah, on top of that, you can also, if you rewrite it, you can, at least in Aweber, you can say, send this out to the list. And so you can send it out to your existing subscribers as a, Hey, I reworked this and I thought you'd be interested in the update. And then new people just get it as a part of the, um, I forget what they're called, but part of the planned sequence that they get follow up. Yeah. They're follow ups. That's what they are. Yeah. And I mean, I, I found that to be a huge thing. I actually have five or six ideas that I'm probably, once this book's out there and published, I'm probably going to put in play like, they're not that hard to create um, once you understand them. And like I said, like you spend maybe half a week putting it together, put it out there, and then it just starts paying your dividends. And yeah. one of my emails actually for the, the controller one is um, I talk about one refactoring and I end with, okay, now you've seen how this refactoring is. Here's the end state of the code. What, what do you think that tomorrow's email is going to be about? How do you think it's going to change? And I actually get a lot of responses of that of people trying to guess kind of what I'm going to do next. And it's really nice because some people... You know, they, they get it, they know what's going on, and other people aren't aren't sure. And then sometimes I even get better refactoring suggestions from that. Yep. Cool. Anything else we want to talk about with email or email lists? Start it now. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I, I want to point out is that several people that I've talked to have had lists of like 20 or 30 people or even 100 people and have done really well with the people on their list. So you don't have to have like 10,000 people on your list you can get away with having 20, 30, 40, 100 people. And if those are the right people and they're engaged and you're giving them what they want, then they will uh, buy or whatever it is that you want them to do. Email you, contact you, whatever the payoff is. Yeah, quality over quantity. 
Yep. And it's like that with the emails too. I mean, I'd rather send out one large, good quality email than five shorter ones, you know? Yep. So, yeah. And I mean, even if you, like, if you're not sure about the marketing angle, you can use email lists to kind of have a list of either clients or potential clients and say, Hey, sign up for my list. And, you know, if you set up a very simple mini course respond autoresponder type system, I mean, this is an idea I had, I don't think I'm going to use, but you know, your first email can be an introduction to you, your skills, experience. Maybe another email can be about some past projects you've done in vague terms about big wins you made. A third one could be uh, like your your project management methodology, how you work. You know, basically a lot of stuff that you would typically tell someone over the phone or over email as it is, you can build into that and basically kind of pre-qualify all of your leads. Yeah, makes sense. All right, well... um, We've been talking for about as long as I usually let this go before we get to the picks, but I want to make sure that there's nothing else that we can cover before we uh, do the picks. Oh, there's plenty more, but this yeah. is probably good. Yeah. yeah. I think the big thing to remember is that the you know the primary goal of your email list and even your blog or any of your marketing uh, in general is to provide value for your clients, right? So providing value for those people on the email list so that they want to stay signed up for it is way better than just hard sell every four seconds that no one, so you have a high churn rate. Yep. All right, well, let's let's get to the picks then. Eric, do you want to start us off? Uh, sure, I've probably picked this before, um, but it's relevant. So I use Aweber for my mailing list software. Um, they've been great. I think that's what I think I'm paying like 29 a month. It's inexpensive and then they charge you more as you get a bigger list, which, you know, as you have more potential customers, you should be paying more because you should be making more. Um, I've also used MailChimp in the past. Uh, they're, they're great too. They're actually, I think they have an easier, easier UI, so it might be a bit easier to get into. Um, I have some actual custom scripts I've written around Aweber to do graphing statistics, and I have kind of a workflow where I write my email in Emacs, and then it gets converted into all the formats and thrown into Aweber. So, but I think MailChimp has an API too, and it's pretty good. So, I mean, MailChimp or Aweber, either of those is great if you don't know what you're doing with email stuff and you want to get started. Aweber actually ported my old list from MailChimp into Aweber, and I think MailChimp will actually port it from Aweber into MailChimp, so you don't feel like you're getting locked in with one or the other. It's going to be a bit of a pain to migrate emails and all that stuff, but you can do it. I think that's it. Oh, uh, one thing I do, um, I use a Ruby gem called PreMailer. It actually, it's supposed to be used in an app, but I have it in my scripts. Uh, What it does is it takes all of the CSS for your, um, what would be a web page, and makes it in line. So instead of it being like referencing or like up in the head, it actually puts it on the actual elements itself. Um, I use it in my script. So I actually take the markdown, create a HTML file, run it through pre-mailer. And so I get this one page of content that actually has all the CSS applied directly where it needs to go. Um, that's actually, that does quite a bit for the spam filters and stuff. It actually makes it so you don't have to actually load a file, you know, in an email client. And so if you are a Ruby developer, you want to build some kind of similar system, if you run your template through PreMailer, it can actually make it a lot, a lot better spam-wise. So I'll put that in the show notes too. It's a bit more advanced, but it's a pretty cool little trick. Cool, Curtis. What are your picks? I'm gonna pick the webcam I got just a while ago. It's a Logitech C920, which is a high def webcam, and it's what like it costs just over a hundred dollars, and it's been really nice and. The worst thing about it is it's really widescreen, so my office is in my bedroom, so I had to move around a lot of stuff so I didn't just see random bedroom things. <laughs> nice. Reuven, what are your picks? 
right, I have two picks that are, are reminiscent of past shows. So first of all, a few shows ago, I recommended something called uh, Bookends for bibliographies. Um, and I've used it in the past, but it turns out it has all sorts of real problems with Microsoft Word, which I am forced to use for my dissertation work. And uh, I found out about this other thing, which totally blows bookends out of the water, called Zotero. And not only is, does it work cross-platform, and it's open source, and it's free, and it saves things in the cloud, and it's way smarter about bibliographies. So for the two or three of you out there who actually care about bibliographies at this stage, um, Highly, highly recommended. The coolest thing about Zotero is that it has a plugin for Chrome and for Firefox that if you go to, say, Google Scholar and you get a list of articles, you can say, yeah, I want to import this and this and this. And you can do that. My second pick is not a specific thing, but two shows ago we talked about just saying no, or I think we said just saying no. And last time we talked with uh, David Allen of uh, Getting Things Done. So I've been on a kick of really trying to get my inbox down to messages just about every day, and part of that uh, involved just reducing my email load. So I've been unsubscribing like mad from all these newsletters and updates and Google alerts and cron jobs and all sorts of stuff that was filling up my mailbox, and it's shocking to me to see how little email I get that's from, I mean, I'm not lonely, folks, but how little email I get from actual things that really demand my attention, and I feel so much freer and so much better. So I definitely recommend to people to try that out. Uh, I think someone mentioned there was a blog post. I forget who said it. Like, you know, it's either no or hell yes. And that was the uh, that was the approach that I tried uh, with whether I should unsubscribe things. So if you want peace of mind and extra time, try unsubscribing. Yeah, uh, you you inspired me when you mentioned that at the beginning of the show, and I unsubscribed from a few myself. Well, I've got a couple of picks. My first pick is uh, it's actually something I've been working on. Really, it just comes down to people being patient with me. With uh, the, a couple of my other shows have really large um, RSS feeds, and uh, people have been really nice about some of the problems that uh, that we've been having. Basically, what happened was the the feed was too big for feed burner, so it wasn't updating. So I trimmed it down, and then people couldn't get all of the um, episodes. So then I took it out of FeedBurner, but then the feed was so large that it was taking uh, like 25 seconds to load. And uh, anyway, this is this is primarily for Ruby Rogues, but um, just people being patient. And, and you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see where some of this goes. Another pick that I have that I just want to put out there that I really, really like is, uh, is Twitter Bootstrap. Um, I've been using it for another project where basically I'm going to be putting up some of the crazy ideas that I have. Um, I'm pretty sure that I will also be, uh, putting a mailing list on there and it's really going to do what, uh, my friend did and basically say, I'm not going to email on this regularly. I will email you updates related to these crazy ideas and what kind of feedback I need on them. But, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm really excited to see where all this goes and, uh, this this was just a really awesome and inspiring episode. So yeah, I kind of talked my way around picks and I didn't have anything solid, but uh, that that's what I got. So we'll wrap up the show. Um, thanks for being experts and awesome guys. You're welcome. Anytime. <laughs> you can enjoy my awesomeness. There's no charge for awesome, as Kung Fu Panda says. Nice. <laughs> yeah, well, Kung Fu Panda's not a freelancer, is he? I don't no, know. He, he acts like it sometimes. <laughs> Freelance philosopher. <laughs> all right well we'll wrap up the show and uh we'll catch y'all next week bye everyone oh i do need to mention oh. Uh-oh. um our next book club 
we're going to be reviewing Michael Port's Book Yourself Solid, and Michael will be on the show on September 24th. So pick up the book, start reading it now, and uh, we'll talk to you about it then.